Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. We're back with another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky, here with my good friend and co-host, Jamie Wagner. Today's episode, we're going to be talking with Bob Wilmoth, who's the president of a liberal arts college in Billings, Montana. Awesome dude, down to earth, just easy, easy going, likes to joke around and have a good time, but also willing to push into the places where we expect and hope to go with our guests and, and our listeners, which is the parts that really challenge us. So Jamie, what was your thought in, in when I said, hey, let's have on a president of a small college? What were you expecting and what did we get? I had no idea what to expect. I, you know, I, you get the impression that there could be like a stuffy kind of suit and tie, very formal guy. And that just wasn't the case. And I I loved it because he's, he starts with a story where what's your vision for the school when he took over and he said, get better every day. And if that isn't who we are, um, it couldn't be in more alignment. And, and when he says that, and then we start having real open conversation around it, it's, it's gold, man. And so um, grateful he was able to join us today. And speaking of open, real conversation, we started a Facebook group where our purpose solely is to challenge one another, you know, to talk about what we're working on, encourage one another. Eyes Up Mindset Facebook group, join us. We'd love to have you. Otherwise, the best way to support us and this podcast currently is to share it. Give it to somebody that you think will find value. In this episode and and previous episodes, we have a ton of good stuff out there. So we would encourage you to just give it away because that's what our mission is. Bob Wilmoth. Thanks for joining us on the Eyes Up Mindset podcast today. A pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for taking the time. John, Jamie, thanks for having me, man. It's nice to meet you. We haven't met in person. I've heard a lot about you. I'm excited to have Uh-oh. an interesting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll tee one up for you. An easy question to start with. Tell us about your school, Rocky Mountain College, located here in Billings, Montana. How long you been there? Kind of give us the rundown of what's, what's the deal with Rocky Mountain. You bet. Well, I've actually lived across from the place for 40 years, but I didn't really know about it until probably 15 years ago, um, where I, they asked me to run the Masters of Physician Assistant Studies program, and then I've been the president there for the last eight years. So the nice thing is it's right across the street, at least for me. But it is the oldest school in Montana. Uh, it's been here for almost 140 years. And what probably best describes it, John Jamie, is it's a a comprehensive liberal arts school. The core curriculum, it's based in liberal arts, but it's not a true liberal arts school because it has a business program, it has an aviation program, it has an equine science program, but it also has graduate school programs. It has a a education program, a master's of education program for future teachers, future principals, It has a master's of accountancy program. It has, as I mentioned, a master's in physician assistant. And then just most recently, it started its first doctorate program, doctorate in occupational therapy. So the long, that's the long-winded answer. The short-winded answer is it is a comprehensive pre-professional liberal arts school that I believe is, is, educates the whole person 
and we hope we graduate 200 students a year, 200 graduates a year that are able to think critically. It's just that simple. And have some empathy. Sounds like a very cool mission to graduate people that have critical thinking. I think that's something that should be a high priority for all educators. And I think it is, Jamie, as a former educator, I know you were intentional about doing that. Bob, what about sports? Do you guys compete in sports? What sports do you guys have? Yeah, athletics is, is you know, as a college president, you always want to lead with academics, right? <laughs> but uh, of course, I love athletics. But athletics is a big part of what we do, John, Jamie, a big part. A little over one third of our students at the undergrad level are athletes. Football is, is a major sport at Rocky. They're part of the Frontier Conference, which is part of the NAIA. We have a basketball program that actually won it all, I think probably roughly 10, 12 years ago. We have a soccer team, we have golf, and we have track. And we also have an outstanding volleyball team. And as I said, uh, one third of our, our, our students are student athletes. And, and of course, as I know both you guys know, you know, being part of a team is part of being able to critically think and, and be able to navigate and have empathy out there in the real world. So that's part of it. But at the same time, it helps to drive our enrollment. I mean, there are, there are a st- a future, uh, or correction, I'm sorry, student athletes that come here to be able to play sports and get an education at the same time, hopefully the other way around. But... So it is a big driver. One of the things we've tried to do over the past couple of years uh, is be more community engaged, you know, be a, a real community engaged, comprehensive liberal arts school. And I think we've done that. We've kind of opened our doors up, you know, allowed people to come on our campus. We started a president lecture series where we brought in some, some speakers. I mean, we have a lot of events on our, uh, on our campus. So that is part of what we want to do. Talk about being part of a team and that helping engage in critical thinking. And where have you had some of those experiences in your own life? You know, John told me you were a surgeon at one point in time. I would imagine that your team is critical in that kind of avenue. What is what's your experience with with team sports or team engagement in, in your career? Well, unlike you two, I was a mediocre athlete, but I personally love sports. Um, not just watching it. And I'm old now, but I've played all my life. I know how important a team is, as as both of you do. I mean, there's nothing better than a team. I mean, it's just what if, I mean, you guys both know this. I mean, when, even when you're on the football field, if you happen to be on the sideline and you watch how they, they interact with each other, that's goosebumps. That is great. You're watching professional or college sports on TV I mean, everybody's rooting for everybody. It's just tremendous. And there's, I believe it's nice to have some level of competition too, of, of having that wanting to compete, right? That's what makes you better. But, it's a, and I don't want to uh, be long-winded on this, man, but, but you talk about team. Uh, I, I tell you, um, I've always personally loved teams. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did for 25 years. I was a heart surgeon. And in the operating room, you had a team, right? You had a team that had one focus, you know, to take care of the patient, get them through their open heart surgery and get them to the intensive care unit. Then you had another team takeover. Then you had another team takeover. Then a team takes over afterwards on discharge. So I've experienced team there. 
I mean, and, and you know, as a surgeon, you kind of are the leader for part of the time there. Everybody is equal. Everybody, everybody's working toward the same goal. But, but that, that gave me a little, an idea of not just how great a team was in the professional world, but even to be somewhat of a leader. But then this job, this job has really educated me on how important teamwork is. And you can take teamwork to another level. I find it hard sometimes, I'll be honest with you, and I guess that's more under leadership. What I thought is eight or nine years ago, we're gonna be one solid team working together. It doesn't always work that way. But I mean, I've, I've, I've probably been too long on this answer, I, I'll end at this, and, and maybe we could talk about this if you'd like, but I think the so-called crisis, pandemic, virus, whatever, COVID-19, those kind of crises, they cause you to really help change the culture toward being a team, right? There's nobody that's going to say, I, I, I don't know. I don't think we should be safe, right? I mean, it's like you have a common goal of safety, health, welfare, and that really has brought the team together. So I don't know if I answered your question on that, but. No, absolutely. And I think we, I just had a conversation with a principal, a former principal of mine that he said, the same thing that this spring their cohesiveness as a group because of the singular focus just went through the roof and was super in some ways grateful for that to see everybody kind of rise up and step up. And, and so, um, no, I think that's, that's absolutely on point with what we were talking about. Could I make one, can I tell you one quick real life story at the college? Absolutely. I will never forget, uh, you know, when the virus came, not to make it all about COVID, but I was home in the morning and it was on the TV that it's in China and that it might be coming over here. And I immediately, immediately started thinking about the science of it, right? Because being a doc, right? Trying to figure out the virus. Is it a parasite? You know, all this stuff, all this medical stuff. Trying to figure out, you know, I think I was trying to figure out if I could cure it here in, the, uh, in my basement. But I went immediately to the science. And I didn't listen to anything else or anything. And I came over and we had our regular two o'clock meeting. It's called the cabinet or executive leadership. And it's all the vice presidents of this school. And, and I should have mentioned, we're a small school. We're about a thousand students. I got there at two o'clock and the team there was working on plans and setting up an incident command center or a safety team kind of thing. And I sat down and my... <laughs> My first inclination was to say, well, 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 what are you guys doing, man? How come I didn't know about this? Well, Bob, you know about the virus? Yeah, I know about the virus. He goes, well, do you know that it, it, like, we're worried that it's going to come into our community? I go, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. And I was more looking up what it does at the cellular level, the alveoli in the lung. And they said, no, we're going to put together a safety team. We figured we'd present it to you. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And I knew right then and there a crisis was going to change our culture, right? We were going to be better for this. Now, you know, the 150,000 that have passed away, I mean, and the ones that are sick, I mean, you know, come on. But I believe that it has brought the team together. It has improved communication. There, as you said, Jamie, there's one common goal. And we established that right away. We did say health, safety, welfare, the campus community in our, in our county Yellowstone County, we can figure everything else out. What specifically have you guys, or have you seen as far as growth because of this 
crisis as far as your team or steps you've taken or higher education in general, where do you see the crisis moving those things forward? From a personal standpoint, I mean, <laughs> when, I, when I first started, I'll never forget the first board meeting I had. Somebody said, Bob, what is your vision? What is your, uh, uh, what do you think? And, you know, I should have had some executive coaching, but I handled this one well. Instead of saying, how about you let me take inventory of this place for six months? But I didn't do that. So we're just going to get better. I used athletics. I used the team approach, right? I just, we're just going to get better at what we do every day. We're going to perfect our curriculum in the classroom. Faculty is, right? Student services is going to get better at what they do. We're going to have a personal service excellence here. We're going to treat everybody like they're a queen or king, that kind of thing. I'm going to be a better president. I'm going to learn every day. I'm going to respect authority. I'm going to value expertise. We're just going to get better. Now, not everybody understands that, and that offends some people. But that's what I started with. And I think, in my heart, this will make us better. This will make us better. And to answer your question, John, the things I've seen are three things, I guess. One is teamwork, right, which we already talked about. The other is communication. Man, it has never been better. And, you know, part of communication is, is uh, confrontation. I, I need a word before that is uh, cool, calm confrontation, right? I mean, is, is just an executive confrontation. Like, hey, man, what about doing it this way? Or, hey, look, I read yesterday. Or, hey, I just talked to the county health commissioner. Or, what about the students using the food truck? Are there going to be four of them at a time or 20 of them? You know, there's more of that. There's more confrontation that I'm a big fan of, right? It, because that's what I think establishes the third thing. I've never seen better accountability from top to bottom. And I'm telling you, man, those three things I think are key. Teamwork, communication, and, and accountability accountability right okay like that that is in some ways what an eyes up mindset is about connection get better you said it get better that's like the description of our podcast is is about getting better period and you said that might offend some people in what ways and you talked about conflict as a, as a way to communicate better through conflict in what ways have you seen maybe not even in this instance where conflict or offense has created growth, has created a betterment. Because I know that to be true in my marriage. When, when we come across a, a sticking point that ugh, might not feel very comfortable to walk into that conflict, we almost always walk out of it better because we communicated well, we were accountable to one another, and we said we're going to do this together, teamwork. Like, I, don't, I, just, I think those are so valuable keys. How does that grow people? Well, I, I think, and th th I'm no expert, Jamie, uh, John. I just think uh, what I've seen in eight years, I, I was, I'm, I'm a reluctant like president, a reluctant leader. I was thrown into this without any, any kind of training, anything. And I will submit to you both, and I'm personalizing it, but sometimes I do that a lot for some reason lately. It's like, I don't think I'm a great leader, but I know what makes a good leader. I, I could write a book. Of course, I can't write. And people are afraid to confront a lot of times uh, because of past experiences, 
Um, you know, the, everybody's worried about their lane, which is the way it should be. And, you know, they want to do a good job and they want to advance. Maybe, maybe not. They don't want to upset anybody. You got to break through that barrier, man. And you, and, and people have to have the skill set to be able to do that. I think some of it is, is being a tad fearless, right? I think some of it, and I think this is really important, important in your mind is that you, you, you see the whole picture, right? You're not just worried about yourself or how that's going to affect you, right? You make a decision based on, you say, well, make the right decision. Make the decision on for the entire institution, what is best, right? And what I think people need to understand is people are okay with that, right? Now, if you come at them reactive and, and all this other stuff, which by the way, I'm capable of doing, but I don't do as much anymore because I'm, I'm growing. But, but wisdom, you, wisdom if, with age. Yeah, if you present things to people in a reasonable, rational way, they're gonna listen. Right. And maybe you bring your own experience into it. I do that quite a bit. You have to be careful. If I talk about empathy for a minute, uh, I told you that this is going to take all afternoon. But this is you guys. You got to understand. And it took, I mean, I've always had empathy, but I did never realize that I've got to understand how the other person feels. You know, if somebody tells you they don't feel valued, right? I mean, how are you going to convince them? that they are valued. Well, I have a tendency to say, man, I'm not valued, right? I'm really not, but I, it doesn't bother me because I, I value myself. I know my strengths and weaknesses. So you tell stories like that and you can confront these things if you're calm. I'm gonna tell you right now, that's one thing I've learned. People love calmness. I hate it. The people love calmness. That really works. Anyway, I went off on a tangent. I don't even know if I answered your question. It, this that's, is, I mean, that's a little bit the point here is like we we ask <laughs> questions to to get out of thought and it's not necessarily to answer the question itself so well you seem to you enjoy the thing about accountability i, I love mean, it if you have accountability in an organization man and everybody's doing it you know even even uh somebody from the outside that's coming in to to fix the air conditioning and they and i walk by and they go where's your mask man right I mean, that's cool. If you have yeah. that kind of accountability, I mean, that's how you get better. How, how do you build that oh, as a leader? Day by day, man. I'm telling you all this based on my experience in the position I'm in, okay? Because I'm not a guru on this stuff. But I think you got to have in the back of your mind, it's about the long game, right? I hate the long game. But it is about the long game right? It's, you know, the immediate satisfaction or gratification goes out the window. You're going to have stumbled it blocks. You're liable to snap at that person. You know who I am. I don't need a man. I would never do that. But, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's the long game. You're going to run into problems where you make mistakes. You got to just turn the page and come back. Don't be afraid to say you messed up. So you, you touched on this earlier, but it seems like you give your team quite a bit of autonomy. Yeah. And I think that is also key to building accountability is giving people autonomy and the responsibility to take things, create things. You know, you said you showed up to the meeting, they were already taking steps to put a safety plan in place. And then, you know, you didn't have to tell them, Hey, go do this. There's so many organizations, teams, companies, whatever that sit around and wait for their leader 
to tell them what to do and then they go do it. Right. But I just, I just think that autonomy piece. So maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of your style with that. How do you give people autonomy and then still hold them accountable? Well, John, I think you just, you actually shed some light on me. I didn't think of that. I didn't think that, that these guys, the guys and gals took the, the whore, they took the reins and said, we got to put together a safety plan. I do think some of that is set up where, oh, we better talk to Bob first. That, that doesn't happen. Don't surround yourself with yes people. Charles Barkley made that comment. Do not surround yourself with yes people. And let me tell you something. I can't tell you one person that agrees with me over there. I just thought of that. I don't have any yes people. Not that you're trying to be funny. I think I just thought of that. You don't surround yourself with people that are going to say whatever you think, Bob. Right. I get more, maybe it's because I went from uh, my mom to my wife. Now I have daughters. This isn't anything against women. It's, it's like a Netflix special comedy. I heard one time I'm used to people saying I wouldn't do it that way, Bob. <laughs> right. My two daughters. Right. And I don't think so, Bob, my wife. No, honey, we're not going to do it that way. I'm used to that. I say that in jest. I heard that on something a long time ago. But I don't think you surround yourself with yes people, but that means you better be ready for it, right? Um, but we had a beer garden, the football field. And I, I do want to tell you that I used to love beer. So don't get me wrong. This is nothing against beer or drinking, okay? But I was at the football games watching people get one for the road in the late in the fourth quarter when Rocky was ahead by 30 or below by or, uh, getting killed by 30. I'll take two. And they walked to their car with the two. And I thought to myself, something's going to happen with this thing. Right. Then I started thinking, wait a minute, what colleges have beer gardens? Right. Then I started thinking, what college our size has a beer garden? We have, then we just put in this no tobacco, nothing against tobacco. We just put in this no tobacco thing on our campus. Right. Let's get rid of the beer garden. Right. Oh, Hold on, Bob. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay. We talked about it. But that one, we didn't talk about long. Get rid of it. Okay. Why, Bob? For X, Y, and Z. And it got done. So I think you do every, every once in a while, you have to stand up and say, you know this, and say, now this is what we're going to do. And, you know, as, as the president, as the leader over there, that can be challenging sometimes, especially in today's world. You know, when do you speak? When do you not speak? Right? Autonomy is great, but I think you've also got to, you know, you've got to kind of stay in your lane, right? John and I talked about this this morning, Jamie, is I've never been more locked in right now to what we're doing at the school, but it's because I'm, I'm controlling things, right? Any misstep with this pandemic, any misstep, and we're in trouble. I have to make sure that I maintain the autonomy that John said, that I don't cross that line. You give people the freedom to operate, bring ideas oh, yeah. to the table, suggest things, and you might challenge it and support it. That's okay. And there are absolutely going to be times when you are the president, the head coach, the CEO, whatever it is, where you have to say, this is my decision. This is what we're going to do. We got to move forward. But if you do that too much, then I think you lose people. 
if you don't do that enough, it's that fine line of fine what, line. What is the balance of giving people freedom and accountability and then also being able to lead and make that decision? Yeah, that's wonderful. The only thing I would add to that is you do have to be consistent, right? And you both know that you can't be wishy-washy on some things, right? I mean, I mean, you can't say on this, we're going to do this. And then a year later, nah, we'll do this. It doesn't go along with your, uh, you got to have a code, man, an inner code, right? And there's just some things that, that you are not going to change on. You got to have a code and show people you're consistent because then there's that autonomy, John. Then people will know, and this isn't really the way we work over there, but there is a little bit of, uh, Bob won't like this. We can't do that. There's a little bit of that. Or Bob's going to go nuts, man. We got, you know, that kind of thing. And there's also the other side where they're like, I know where the boundary line is. I can do everything up until the boundary line. And I, I believe this with kids, with adults, whatever. People want boundaries. People want to know what's acceptable. Where should I hold myself to a standard? And what's the standard being set for me outside of myself? And then I, then I have free reign in that range to do my best to find better. I always felt that as a coach that when we set very clear boundaries, we saw innovation and growth in ways that I didn't expect, but was grateful for, obviously. And so one of the things that I've heard between the two of you a little bit is just this idea of balance. And then you said long game, short game. How do you balance not only this autonomy versus authority, I guess, in some way control with long game, short game? How do you, like, it's, it's all a fine line as a leader. And I think that's what maybe scares some people away with, you know, with kids, especially with young people. They're like, I don't want to lead because like I want the title, but I don't want the responsibility. <laughs> like yeah. what, what is that balance point? I think that's such a huge word as I heard it. I'm just like, man, long game, short game, authority, autonomy, like it's all thread the needle, you know? Yeah. I, the long game, short game for me, where I really got that was I was always a quick result kind of person, like, you know, with whatever I was doing, wanted the result right now. And I've learned, gotten educated that it's about the long game. Um, I, I, there is one thing I, I do feel strongly about. I, I don't use power. I just don't. I'm not capable of it, right? And if I do, I get laughed at. I mean, I'm actually serious, right? It's, it's, I just don't. But I never give up my power, ever. I don't use it, but I never give it up. And I'll use sports, Athletic directors and football coaches have a major say at a lot of these schools, right? So do ours. I'm blessed. We're blessed with an outstanding athletic director. We're blessed with an outstanding football coach. They're tremendous. They're good communicators, right? They're very, very good. When I'm at meetings a lot of times with presidents, you know, we've got to talk to our athletic director. We've got to see what our athletic director, well, the coach feels, the athletic, well, they want to play 12 games. They want to go all over the country. Now I'm exaggerating a little bit for the purpose of this story because we don't, but they want to go all over the country to play. And for me, I sit and listen. I sit and listen. You know, I, then I go home. I, we have a meeting. I think it's tomorrow at three o'clock with our head football coach, with our athletic director, with our advancement person that's involved in football, with our athletic trainers. 
and I'm going to listen and listen, but if it's time, I'm gonna, no, we're playing football in the fall. Oh, we need to move to the spring, Bob, because we'll be able to play three more games because everybody wants to play N plus one games. I mean, if I, you got, I mean, that's foot, that's coaching, right? Okay. All right. And then it, it, we're going to play football in the fall. I'm not giving that up. Now that's just one example. And the reason we're going to do that is because from where I sit, that's what's best for the institution. Right now, of course we'll be, you know, if, if they shut, if the virus comes and there's a pandemic, a mini pandemic here, then we can't do that. But I don't come out of the gates and tell everybody, we're going to play football in the fall. That's the last thing I heard. And I'm the president, you know. That's also long game, short game. You're looking at the long game. Yes. Even though you said, I hate the long game, you've learned to appreciate that you have to take that into account. And you're absolutely right. As a coach, I want to do what's best for my program. And it might be best if we moved in spring because we get to play those extra games. Right. But that's the short game. You know, that's this year. That's the next couple of years. That's not how do we sustain a school moving forward? And I'm not, this is not a shot at your coach or I I have no idea what they're, it's just, but as a, as a coach, I know that's would be my mindset too, is how do I get the most out of this team? Because I care so deeply for the kids that I have, they're going to miss out. And it's harder for me to get to that long game view, but it's also incredibly important. I'm interested in you're a surgeon and now you're the president of a college. How did you get here? Like, well, yeah. Is- yeah. The, so one of the things is I got, I got sick. I was a consumer of health. So I was a heart surgeon at the Billings clinic for like 20 years or something like that. And I got sick. So I had to stop practicing. And then they asked me, to, to run that PA program. I said, no, I did that for five years. And they asked me to be president. And I've done, I said, absolutely not. Um, I take it seriously. And this is harder. This is a hundred percent harder. So that's how I got into it. It was an illness. I'm doing fine. I got through the cancer and all that. And that's the answer to that. But I'll tell you, this is harder. And the reason it's harder is it's leadership. I find leadership exceptionally difficult. It's harder than heart surgery. That's your personal growth, you know, yes. and that's, and that's you modeling for your school, your staff, your students, everybody, the community, your vision of we're going to get better. I believe that is incredible leadership being able to say, this is what we're going to do. And then modeling it in your own life of I'm going to get better. Yeah. I think you hit something, John is, is, you know, when you personalize it is why is this harder, Right. My previous life, you could control the situation. You had to, right? Every step. I don't have control here. I'm okay with that. But it's been hard to uh, accept that, you know, when something goes wrong. And by the way, if you're a leader, you got you to gotta wear it. If something goes wrong, it's on you. You got to wear it. And don't take credit for stuff, man. Come on. I mean, take, take the hit, even if you don't had, it didn't have anything to do with it. Right. But that came easy, but it was hard when you'd hear what happened over there and you had nothing to do with it. And it had an influence on the school. And that was something for me to grow. As you said, I had to grow with that. Like when it comes to leadership, like understanding who you are is vital, you know, yeah. and where, where am I going to stumble on this thing? 
I'd say that's great advice for any leader out there listening is to say, maybe I got to look at me right now and not try and manage so much or control so much. You're exactly right, Jamie. You learn about yourself. Oh my gosh. And that's how you get better. You know, you got to be able to look yourself in the mirror and all that. Well, Bob, we certainly appreciate you coming on and sharing all your nuggets of wisdom. Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) I'm hanging on by a thread, man. (laughs) I enjoy the conversation a bunch. I, I, this is my favorite part of the podcast, getting meet people, engage with people that, that make me think that ask questions of how we do what we do. And there's always application. doesn't matter if we're a small business running a college, being a surgeon, there's always application in it. And, um, so I'm grateful for what you had to give us today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. That last idea that Bob mentions that leadership is harder than heart surgery. I don't know anything about heart surgery, but I do know that leadership is incredibly challenging because he said it, you have to cede control. You have to give it away. And not only that, you have to do the things that he talked about throughout the interview to promote teamwork communication, accountability. You have to think about the long term and the short term. And I know that you as a coach in your head coaching experience, we've talked about this, that sometimes the long term goals kind of inhibited some of the short term progress. And that's really hard because you want to see progress but you're still thinking about how do we do this thing? How do we build a program long-term? What's, what was your experience in, in trying to do that? No, there's no doubt when he was talking, I was thinking about being the head coach of summit football in, you know, Breckenridge, Colorado. When I got there, they were either going to cut the program or they needed a new head coach. I wasn't even thinking about being the head coach and, so when I stepped in and I started thinking about what is the long term, what is my big vision? You know, we had been talking about that for years. I know looking back now that my focus was more on the long game and there was an imbalance of the long game, short game. And we did okay. We made progress. We took strides forward. But in the end, that imbalance of not focusing enough on the short game, the day-to-day, how are we making progress, communicating that, holding people accountable, certainly there was parts of that, but there wasn't enough of that to sustain and get everyone to buy into the long game of let's build a program built on character, integrity, and winning. And that's the hard part is how do you – if you aren't winning enough and there isn't a tangible enough progress, it's hard to communicate with everybody and get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Because people have different definitions of what success is. You can be the leader saying, this is how we're going to define success. And this is how in our program, this is what it's going to look like, but not everybody buys into that right away because we have all these other definitions of success or failure around us and trying to manage those things as leaders 
as the director of a program, an education institution, a, a whatever, it doesn't really matter what your role is. Being the person who communicates the vision and the long-term plan requires you to be aware that other people are going to have different expectations and it forces your attention to the short game. Well, and the, the other part of that too is that you have to be willing to look at yourself and identify, you know, where did I, and, and that's partly this for me is identifying, Hey, I know I was too focused on the long game and it's taken some time for me to get to that point. You know, can you do it when you're in it? Can, is it possible to do it when you're in the middle of it or do you have to step back? I don't know. I think it's possible. It depends on the accountability, the feedback that you have, the people that you have around you. I had great people around me, but I'm not sure that there was that clear of feedback. And I think part of that, again, for me was not consistently conveying the mission, my vision day in, day out, long-term, but also how do we get better today as part of that? And that's the challenge. Can you do that? Can you step back and take a look at yourself in the middle of the process, in the middle of the crisis and say, what am I doing? What am I doing to build teamwork, to build communication, to build accountability? What am I doing that's assessing the short-term goals and the long-term big picture? And if you can't create answers to that, man, what a great opportunity to build and have a conversation with someone in your life. Because great leaders give some autonomy to their groups. They reach out and they ask for advice. It's really hard, but that's the call. And as always, live eyes up. <laughs>